The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. So I was thinking about this, that I've had the opportunity to introduce Brian in Mm -hmm. concert a half a dozen times. But in my career, I've actually never had an opportunity, Holly, to sit down and actually have a conversation with him. And so this is exciting for you. I know it is. I've had yeah. conversations with Brian, just yeah. like you guys are out. like best friends. We talk chai because you can't say chai tea because that's like saying tea tea, and that's weird. I've quite enjoyed being able to to work and have conversations with Brian, and I can't wait to to learn more, to dig deep today because um, there's a lot of life, a lot of lessons I'm sure Brian has learned over the years. Yeah, amazing singer, songwriter, uh, incredible storyteller. Those are all things that I know because I've seen, but never sitting down and chatting with Mr. Brian Dirks. And how are you? I am fantastic today. Well, we like to ask this guilt testing question because we never know where it's going to go. And that is, Brian, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, I see how this is skill testing. <laughs> <laughs> who who I am and where I come from. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I, well, I'm the grandson of refugees that fled the Russian Revolution. Oh, so, wow. you know, I, I always think, you know, with the current refugee crisis, I'm only two generations removed from that, uh, which is so, so kind of like that's where I, 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 I guess you could say I come from. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person who loves singing, writing songs. I love making chai from scratch. I love being a dad. I have six amazing children who are so completely diverse uh, including two boys with fragile x who don't have verbal communication but who communicate in all kinds of other interesting and funny ways and i have four amazing daughters and um one crazy son-in-law well let's dive into your life because um there i mean you have a lot of children and yet you also have written a lot of songs so just like my very first question is how, as a singer, songwriter, storyteller, did you balance out the creative, but then also, you know, managing a household and raising children who mm. kind of cover a, a plethora of abilities and um, personalities? Well, my my theory is if you have one child, it takes everything you've got. If you have six children, it takes everything you've got, you know. It doesn't really matter almost the number because the more you have, the more the the whole group of them starts interacting with and even helping each other. So it's just a, a little bit more pandemonium, but it's still all demanding, you know. I mean, I think I think one of the answers that comes to mind when you ask me that question, like how do I balance it, is right near the beginning I had this idea, and maybe this is my kind of Mennonite Dutch German structured roots. But I thought I'm going to, I'm going to make a weekly appointment with myself that I'm going to keep. And it's going to be a weekly songwriting appointment. And for years it was Thursday morning after getting the kids all out the door to school. And um, I was privileged with either working for other people or working when seasons where I was self-employed. I just said, Thursday morning from 9 a.m. till 12 noon is my songwriting appointment with myself. So I show up. I mean, like life can be crazy on either side of this appointment. But at 9 a.m., 
I close the door. I walk over to my piano and I say, you know, good morning, Mr. Keyboard, you know, <laughs> um, what do you, what melody do you feel like feeding me today? Or what, or I, I carry in the seeds. I, I'm a seed collector, seeds being song ideas. And I, and I have my little bag of seeds, so to speak, in my folder, my, on my computer. And I go, I open it up, go, Oh, I wanted to write a song about whatever. And I just go to work on it. And if the rest of the week I can never touch my creative thing, I always knew that once a week I had an appointment that nothing else could, could, you know, knock out of the way. So I think um, that's definitely been one of the ways, like from early morning till well into the evening, it's it's been kids this, kids that, jobs, juggling, all kinds of things. But there's always this part of every week where I know I get to work my creative muscles. And I think that's sustained me over the years. Hmm. You had mentioned uh, Fragile X, uh, but not, I'm not familiar with it at all. Could you give some insight as to what that is? So Fragile X is your... Uh, the world's uh, probably leading genetically past uh, root cause of like global mental disability. Um, and it, so down syndrome would be the number one, but that's not genetically passed. Okay. Uh, whereas fragile X. So my wife was a carrier and we didn't know she was a carrier when we got married. Uh, my daughters are carriers uh, now because of being born into our family. You have the highest percentage of fragile X's in Mennonite uh, and in Jewish families. And that's probably because of the persecution and how they, as people groups, would move from like, you know, German Mennonites. They started in Holland, Germany, Switzerland, and then fled Religious persecution ended up a lot in southern Russia and then have scattered, but they were together as a group of, you know, several million, you know, and the Jewish people likewise. So as a result, you have a higher, you know, number of fragile X in those communities and we're a part of that statistic. Mm. When did you realize that they had fragile X? So it started with our first son. So we had, uh, you know, Rachel was first, Esther was second, Benjamin was our third. And when he started not hitting his any developmental milestones as a two-year-old, three-year-old, and by the time he was four, we got the diagnosis and our twin girls had just been born. Mm. Um, and then we had them... We just did the, the 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 test, the DNA or whatever test, and 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 they all came back positive. But like the interesting things is our girls um, are very functional and don't show any evident disabilities, but they're carriers of it. So you have mm -hmm. you have a range from being a being a carrier to to having more. Um, noticeable disabilities like our our son benjamin benjamin has a few words but uh requires full-time support and i our youngest isaiah who's now our baby is 24 years old crazy oh, wow, wow. Um, Congratulations. you know he has <laughs> he, he has you know three words you know no and me and then mama but he he's very he has some basic signs like 
I'm, you know, if, if you can't see me right now, I'm putting my fist next to my, my cheek, which is his sign for home. So if we're out anywhere and he's starting to get anxious, he just does this. And I say, Isaiah, yeah, we're going to go back home after this is done. You know, so he has ways of communicating. It's just very, very few verbal. They're very, they're just an incredible gift. They're very affectionate. And then when they're pulled out of their routines, they can get incredibly anxious and complete have complete meltdowns. And it's absolutely challenging, especially if you're out somewhere public and you have to try and, you know, lovingly try and get them back to a calm down state and eventually get home. So, yeah. How difficult was it then having, I mean, Holly had said you have six kids, which is one thing, but now you have six kids with some challenges and you also have a career where you're not home all the time and you're, you know, out doing different touring and stuff. Did you find that difficult as an artist? Absolutely. I, I, I remember actually this moment because when you're living it, it just seems normal to you, right? Like. Yeah. Cause you, all you know is the story that you're in the middle of. But I remember being backstage actually in Edmonton at, at, at one of the Breakforth events and having a, a, one of my only chats of my life with Chris Tomlin. And at that stage in his career, he was doing, you know, upwards of 120 to a hundred, you know, plus shows a year. And I looked at him and I go, wow, that's like another universe. I'll do maybe 30, 35 a year. I have to be incredibly careful and intentional about when I leave home because mm. the cost is so high to my wife and to my children. Now, you know, now that they're adults, they actually enjoy a week or two when Joyce and I are away, either on a tour or on a holiday yeah. or something, because yeah. then all the siblings just kind of manage. Yeah. And, you know, my dad calls them the happy gang they're they're truly are they're 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 very um fun content people and so it's it's actually getting easier now to leave but in the in the heyday of it i had i turned i was turning down 80 to 90 percent of the invitations i received and trying to figure that out as i went it wasn't always easy Mm -mm. so was faith a big part of your life like did you grow up with a faith yeah i i did I, my parents were really, I mean, you use the word faith and it's a good word. It's a word I love to use. And they were very faith filled and faithful people, loving, kind. They were both teachers in, you know, public school system, but had a very deep faith. And I'm, I'm speaking to you now on this little five acre piece of land that, that my parents bought when I was four. And I can just look over there through this window at the little hill under the ginkgo balboa tree and i would lie there on the hill in the summer i was like eight nine ten years old and i would start i I say i i heard the whispers of god like i i heard the, the 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 breeze blowing through the leaves of the trees but it was being translated like like some of the words from the book of isaiah um just these these beautiful the language poetic language of creation and the divine and kind of like the way that this all-knowing creator is actually at its at its his essence love and i was hearing the whispers of love and 
and then I was I was feeling this pulling in my heart to do something with this, you know, to share it somehow. And music was just the language of my heart. I never felt like I had I never felt like I had the talent or you know the natural uh I don't know aptitude to to be a full-time musician or songwriter because the ideas I had were all so simple. Mm. Um but they were there and so I just started doing very, you know, simple things with these simple song ideas and they just started resonating with a few people. So I was surprised when it turned into a a full-time thing which took multiple multiple years for that to happen, but but definitely talking about faith, it's really interesting how I'm I still live in the place where my faith began. And I still have some of those ex- very experiences here, hearing the whispers of God. It's amazing that you didn't think that you were like a songwriter or that you could do incredible things musically when we take a look at your resume of songs and they are soundtracks to so many people's youth. Um, can we, yeah, <laughs> Johnny's raising his hand. Um, can Can we chat a little bit about how you were able to then transition from, oh, I have these fun ideas, they speak to me, I feel like they're God's words, into now you are a part of Vineyard and a, a massive movement. Maybe if I could say it like this, is that I my journey into me writing songs started when a gap revealed itself to me. So like, like, like as a teenager, I learned the basics of guitar. I had basics of piano and I would play along or sing other people's songs, you know, and then I would in youth group, I would, I actually started towards the end of youth group. I started, you know, leading some worship, you know, I never used any of my songs. I didn't have any songs, but I learned, I was learning how music can flow through you and not really be about you, but be an act of service to other people. And then I had this moment with our first baby daughter, Rachel, where she, you know, put her arms in the air and in essence, without a word saying, pick me up and hold me, daddy. And I was holding her and I was just turning around and just drinking in this moment of really unconditional love that I had for her. And then I I started weeping because I realized that God is often referred to in scripture as father. But my father, who was a faithful, good man, was also, because of his background and the horrendous suffering that they went through as a people, you, you're you not into expressing emotional I love yous. Um, mm. You're not touchy-feely. And I was having this moment with my daughter, and I longed for this kind of connection with my earthly father and then ultimately with my heavenly father. And so I had this I, this little whisper why don't you take this moment and write it in a song, you know? And I was like, no, uh, I'm not a songwriter. And then I tried to find a song already written that said, that took, described this experience I was having and I couldn't find one. And that was the key because that, that gap became my songwriting assignment. So then I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll just try it. It'll be really simple. Probably nobody will ever hear it. So I wrote this little simple song called Father, I Want You to Hold Me. 
And that was it. It was my secret song. Until six months later, I'm at a home Bible study, and Andy Park says to me, he looks at me across the room at the end of the Bible study, which had been on the father heart or something. He says, Brian, I just get this impression you have a song for this moment. There's 15 people in the room, right? And I'm like all nervous. So I, (laughs) okay, okay, I'll play you my secret song. And I play and it touches people. Mm -hmm. Six months later, I'm in Edmonton. I'm the bass guitar player at a John Wimber Vineyard Ministries conference. There's 5,000 people there. They do a session on the Father Heart. They invite Andy Park, I'm the bass player, remember, to go up and close the session with a song. And Andy looks at me and goes, <laughs> Brian, that Father song? Go. And I'm like, no! <laughs> like Anyway, eventually I, I say yes. I go up there. They're all looking at me like, why is this kid... <laughs> the bass player walking up on the stage and Andy's just standing off the side with his thumbs up like, it's going to be okay, guys. You're going to like what's about to happen. Yeah. And I sing this song and people start weeping all over the auditorium. And John Wimber, head of the vineyard at that time, makes a beeline for me after the end. He goes, my father was an alcoholic. He left when I was four. I've been waiting for a song like that. Mm. Could we publish it? And I was like, what the heck is published? You know, like, what do you mean? Like, and then he says, the last thing he says, do you have any other songs? And I said, Oh, I just finished writing one. It's called faithful one. And he goes, he never even heard it. He says, we'll publish that one too. Mm. And it's literally because of that gap moment and that experience with my baby daughter that I then put into a simple song, which then I kept to myself for months and was kind of pulled out of me. And then pulled out of me again. It's like because of that moment that we're having this conversation. And But in a way, nothing's changed. To this day, every song I write comes out of an experience and a gap moment. And if I go, oh, I could I can hear somebody else's song that really expresses this, I'll use their song. Very oh. grateful. Because I know I can't write all the songs that even I need to sing, let alone that everybody else needs to hear and sing, you know? So yeah, I've written a few hundred songs over the years. I've written those into the gaps that have showed themselves up for me, but I still love hearing other people's songs because they, because they speak for me in ways that I couldn't come up with, you know, it's, 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 this is a really interesting dynamic. It's it's interesting because had a conversation with Bart from Mercy Me, and we talked about I Can Only Imagine it being such a huge single. We had a chance to talk with Matt Redman about 10,000 Reasons, but probably one of those staples, Come Now is the Time to Worship, is you, you look back on, on youth and growing up in church, and that was one of those each and every Sunday we had a chance to uh, speak to God through through that song. What is your reaction to when people come up and say, you don't realize just how important that song was or any of the songs that you do to their life? Those conversations and those letters and those emails have become some of the great treasures of my life because what you do as a writer, you do often in private. You do sometimes in trepidation. You do vulnerably. You, you expose your, your heart. You tr- take a risk. And then often you just kind of float it out there and you don't really know 
what it's doing, what what happens, how it's serving people. So when you get that full circle moment, when somebody comes up after an event or takes the time to write me a letter and says, oh, you know, my father was on his deathbed and and we were all gathered around and we didn't know what to say. And then somebody just started singing Faithful One, So Unchanging. And there we were without an instrument. And then he passed and it was so peaceful. And we wanted to say thank you for speaking for us through that. You know, like, and you just kind of go, <laughs> like, what a gift, like what a full circle moment, because when I wrote songs like that, I didn't know, like they were a gap moment for me. They were the, they were the, what I needed for whatever I was going through to say or to sing or to pray, you know, faithful one is a prayer. Uh, actually out of also another moment with our baby daughter, both father want you to hold me and faithful one. Two of my first songs were like that. You know, I thought, you know, with Faithful One, I thought, I'm now a father, and I know I'm going to fail. I know this is such an incredible gift, but at one point I'm going to let her down, and I'm not going to be faithful in every detail of my life. So, God, I need you to be faithful so that I can be the father I need to be to this precious baby. And that was my prayer, and so I just picked up my guitar and started singing, you know, and some of the stories I've heard, people were in a shipwreck and they were clinging to debris in the ocean for day to several days waiting to be rescued. And that what they did was they sang Faithful One over and over again, as long as they had energy, as they waited to be rescued. I've had, you know, all kinds of stories like that. So those those moments when somebody says it in person or writes the letter are truly yeah, they're the they're the reward. They're the fuel. They're they're so much of what keeps me going. I don't have a story like clinging to a piece of wood in an ocean. <laughs> we could <can laughs> go sailing, life. Holly. <laughs> we could go sailing. But when That's you said danger. when you said "Faithful One" is your second song, no one had heard it, and they were just like, "Yeah, we'll take it." Like that's the song we sing to my youngest daughter every night. Mm. Oh, every night it's like a part of a a series of songs that we would sing to get her to go to sleep. And so for her, you know, she's seven, almost eight. Like that's a song that she thinks of as a a bedtime song. Mm. It was like written when you had your daughter. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's so, that's so cool, Holly, because there I was singing it in essence, I mean, to God with my baby daughter, trying to, trying to um, just live into that season. Yeah. yeah, mine's like, dear God, amazing. be faithful and put her to sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there is that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So many ways to be able to to interpret a song. Did you create the actions for coming now is the time to worship, or did it like did that just come out of nowhere? <laughs> the what? The the actions for it. The actions. Are you talking about what? like when when that song um, put on on, on Veggie Tales? <laughs> no. Calm Is there actions for this song? You come on, you don't know about the no, actions. I don't know the actions. Brian, do you know the actions? I do not. Like I was say I thought maybe you're referring to when Veggie Tales wow. covered the song when Bob. Maybe and Larry it's just my sang. shirt. <laughs> your shirt's made of actions. Oh no. Oh boy. Like, I, I, we talk I about I, drimes in that all the time, remember? Yeah, like yeah. we used to anytime there was a worship song, it would be like 
you know, come now is the time to worship. Like there was, oh, wow. Okay. I'm sorry. I honestly thought it was a thing. Apparently it's not. And just pretend like I'm normal. We're going to just leave Johnny's actions in the past and we're going to keep moving forward. Okay. Carry on. Next next question. Oh, next. Okay. So you are writing songs. You are now part of Vineyard. Imposter syndrome. Is this something that you ever experienced? Or well, did you just gracefully move into it and you're like, yes, I'm a singer-songwriter now? No, I think my entire life you kind of have, and I think a lot of people have this feeling that, you know, one day they're going to discover that I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> that I don't that I don't know uh, enough about music or enough about life or enough about God or enough about any fill-in-the-blank um so no I, I don't think that ever leaves i think it's always there um and i'm always surprised when songs um resonate in a in a in a broad way because um i'm i'm writing the songs that 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 fill the gaps in my heart in my life but i don't make any assumptions about other people so um and at the same time you know, I'm I'm 58 now, and and I actually have spent you know the last 30 plus years while I've been writing songs, I've been teaching other people to write songs, and so when I'm teaching other people and helping them with their song craft, I recognize things. I can almost as I'm helping them, I can realize oh. And that's why that worked in that song of mine. Um, it's almost like in retrospect, you can see why it worked. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. So you having this 30 plus year career, did you ever think then that this would happen? Like, it, it's one thing to have a, a worship song or two, but you've made this into an incredible career. Yeah, no, it's it's it wasn't something I even set out to do. I didn't expect it. And it's been like kind of like following the the trail of I mean, people talk about follow the trail of breadcrumbs, you know, like but for me it hasn't been crumbs. There's been so much joy in the journey. There's been so much provision through getting to know people through the creative process. Mm. It, it it's it's been literally like like following the joy of it following the the goodness of it following the provision and um and now i've i'm this far down the trail i kind of figure what what's really cool is i have peers that are starting to talk about retirement you know they're in whatever different careers construction education banking this and that and they're all talking about well you know well okay like 65 is like five five years away maybe i'll and i like think what i'll just do this until you know they carry me out in a box like why would why would i ever stop having the joy of like writing songs why would i ever stop having the joy of helping mentor other people to do what they love and what they're and encouraging them why would i ever stop you know making films or this or that like so i go i mean the pace may change a little but it's just so it's just so much fun i I just i figure i'll just 
do this till I can't do it anymore, you know. Has it always been easy or we hear of some artists saying, oh, I've got writer's block and they just hit this yeah. season where there's nothing, there's no creative juices. It's just yeah. they feel like yeah. maybe they lost their gift. Um, have you yeah. ever experienced a season like that? Oh, absolutely. I went through a, 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 a da- the downturn of music. Um, so 2009, 2010, 2011, and a and a church blow up that we had helped plant split into many fragments. I got caught in the middle trying to be a peacemaker, oh. and I say I went through it. I lost my words. I couldn't write songs. I went about four to five years without writing almost anything, and uh, I started through that process being more intentional about teaching other, helping other songwriters. But I hadn't re- my. I hadn't recovered yet. Um, so when it's when it's flowing, I find it's it's a real gift. Now I, I do find that that you know this whole concept of like writer's block and stuff. Once you're once you've dealt with say a trauma or a wound that has really taken you out, like it took me some time, and I had to go through therapy. And I had to actually get EMDR therapy. I had to, um, and I had to give it time. But once I reemerged, then I'm back into my weekly appointment with myself and everything. And then in one sense, I go, I'm not always like feeling super creative, but I can, I can guarantee that every single time I show up for that weekly appointment, something happens. It may not be a finished song. It may not even be a song that's strong enough for other people to hear. But I I find something to express. So, um, and you know that you know one of the things I teach for my song in my songwriting classes and mentoring is that the biggest challenge with songwriting and and for writing in general isn't actually the writing. It's the sitting down to write. Uh. It's the making the decision to start even when there's nothing yeah, and to stay with it 15 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes until there it starts. There's a note, there's a phrase there, and then you just stay with it. So This is the Why Me Project. So I want to dive into a Why Me moment that you've experienced, whether in the valleys or the mountaintop. Reflecting on your life, can you think of anything where you just thought, why me? It was uh, uh, September 1997. We had recently found out our son had fragile X, would require care for the rest of his life. We had tried to launch a musical. It had collapsed. We had lost over a million dollars. We had moved. We had lost our job, everything, and we had been moved. We moved to the other side of the world, to London, England. We were offered a job there, mm. and I was walking the streets of London one morning, you know, you you use the language of why me? Like almost every day, that question, that feeling, why? What did I do? And, And also, what can I do to get my to get back on my feet to 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 to, like, what's next, God, like after this, like, and that was the moment when this come now is the time 
to worship came floating like crackling, like electrical energy in the air. And I remember looking up to the heavens and going, now, you know, like (laughs) here, now, come now, you know, in my, in my brokenness, in my, I'm barely even hanging on to my faith now, you know, which is why I put in the, in the lyrics of that song, come just as you are, you know, because I had to almost like give myself the permission that in my kind of disoriented, convoluted state of still wanting hope, still wanting to lean into the next season, but being devastated with what had happened recently in my life and, and in people's lives around me with the church blowing up. Um, so I think, I think there's, I, I think there's be, the beauty in a lot of our why me moments is that they can flip. They can flip from feeling self defeated and absorbed to f- flipping around to becoming oh, but it's this very thing that prepares me to to be a carrier of love and hope to other people because I've gone through this thing and it's not, I'm not the only one. You know, many other people have gone through devastating news with their children. Many other people have gone through devastating experiences in their faith communities. Many other people have been so disoriented, they don't even know where to turn. And what if part of what brings orientation, what brings um, a centering in our life is that simple act of surrender to respond to an invitation of love that comes from beyond and above. And it just says, when we say yes to it, we 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 start we come to life again so yeah that that would be one of my why me moments <laughs> if if you were to look ahead 6 months a year 5 years what does that look like for brian what does what what are your hopes what are your thoughts i mean is it solo projects is it duets is it groups is it you know where do you see your heart well um uh one of the things is i've i've written about 40 love songs and i'm dreaming about doing a, a project that would be yeah some duets and everything but it's really songs about love long love i think our world is filled with songs about falling in love yeah. but what i think our world needs and i write for the gap right i as i i i think our world needs more so- love songs that are about long love about faithful covenantal love uh so i want to do i want to do that i i i have a whole another album of songs that i call peace love and honesty they're more like honest worship songs mm. i've got uh you know marika seward and i have written a christmas movie together um we we love of Christmas stuff. So we want to do, we want to get more into filmmaking. I don't know. Like I, I want to teach other people. We've launched unlockingyoursongs.com, which is a place online where I mentor songwriters from around the world. So I, here's the thing. Five years from now, 10 years from now, I want to be riding the bicycle. And by that metaphor, I mean with one pedal, I'm writing and creating and releasing. And with the other pedal, 
I'm mentoring and helping other people write and be creative. I'm always the most satisfied when I'm, when I'm do, doing both, when I'm, you know, so, and I hope I'm doing that 25 years from now. At Brian Dirksen on the socials, BrianDirksen.com. He might not know the actions to some of his songs, but we love him anyways. Brian, I uh, appreciate you for taking some time and sharing your heart. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm going to make this statement, and it'll probably be one of the boldest statements I've ever made in my entire life. Yes, those actions were terrible. Is Brian Dirksen maybe the best guy in the whole entire world? He's so chill and so humble. Whoa. I just so appreciated our conversation today. I mean, you just think about his, like the chapters of his life. Yeah. And I just, at some point, I feel like me and my humanness would just say, well, God, it was a good run. Like, not that I would yeah. lose my faith, but I don't know if I could recover and still write and pour into other people's lives when I was dealing with six children and all of the different hurdles that came along with that. So it's it's very inspiring for sure. And even like he said, you know, Tomlin is on the road 150, 200 days a year, and he just didn't have that because it just didn't. But yet he still had an incredible and still has had an incredible career mm -hmm. by only doing a little bit of touring. But the impact that his music has had, not only, I mean, as a Canadian guy in Canada, but around the world. Yeah, and that's just it. He's a Canadian and he's had songs sung internationally that mm. continue to this day to encourage and inspire us in seasons where there is a gap. And those are the songs that fill them. They fill the void and they give us the words that our heart is trying to say to the Lord. It's taken me 20 years, but I'm glad that we finally had an opportunity to sit down and chat with Brian. Thank you to everybody who has uh, downloaded, subscribed. Follow us on all the socials. Uh, we encourage you to do that and even things like YouTube, Holly. Absolutely. We are all those places plus at faithstrongtoday.com. <laughs>